Hi everyone, good to be with you again and uh, this week in our study we're in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. Uh, we want to hear what the, the Spirit says to the seven churches and this is the first uh, one that we speak to, uh, that the Spirit speaks to is the church of Ephesus. So uh, our text opens in chapter 2 with verse 1 reading like this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, so this is what's revealed to John so far, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So immediately we, we're, we're brought to the attention that, uh, it's brought to our attention that Jesus Christ is the, the author of the letter of this church. He's the one steering, he's the one writing it. He's the one authorizing John to put pen to paper. And he identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's checking them. He's looking at them. He's going to discover things about them so he can reveal to them what he needs to. So we immediately see that, that Jesus being the head of the church is very, very involved in the activities of his church. He wants his church to bring glory to himself and honor him. And so he wants the church to go a certain direction. And that's what he's got to steer. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not even reveal against it. There's nothing that will stop Jesus building his church. And this is what's happening right here as we look at this church in Ephesus. So then it continues. Uh, he, he, he writes this church by his human instrument, John, the apostle. These words and verses Two to three. Now put yourself in the picture as part of the church, uh, this church or any church, and hear what Jesus says to you. I know your works and to your toil and your patient endurance and how you kind of bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake and have not grown weary. This church in Ephesus is, is highly commended by their Lord Jesus, the, the chief shepherd. Um, and he's very aware of all of their good works, all of their efforts th that they do. These believers seemingly are so committed to serving well that they, they're actually exhausted in many respects, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually, but they're so committed to serving Christ, they're pressing on. This was a church committed to the gospel and committed to living for Jesus in every way possible before them. These believers were, were incapable, it seems, of sitting back and tolerating those who would harbor evil. It seems as if they hated and opposed and loathed evil every bit as much as God himself hates evil. Whenever someone would come into their midst claiming to be an apostle, these believers would, would test such a person. They would check such a person and if they discovered them to be false or to be liars, they would remove them from their, their midst. This was the church that you could feel theologically safe in. You knew this is going to be a church that honors God and their understanding and their thinking. This was a church who practiced discernment. They were checking things and looking at things. This is a church that the, the true believer of today would love to be part of, I make that assumption. And wouldn't it be a great testimony if we in our churches today were to hear our Lord say such things to of, of us, that, that we're believers who are committed to Jesus and what he desires for his church. We want the same things for the church that Christ wants. And we, we were determined to get those things, that we're willing to test biblically what comes from the pulpit. We're not just taking and saying, oh yeah, that's fine, but we're, we're testing it, we're checking it, because our great hunger is to hear God's truth and to follow God's truth and to practice God's truth in our society. 
that we have the capabilities of discerning theologically, theologically what people say and claim about our great God and the work of his church in the world today. We're, we're actually discerning truth and we're grasping it and living within that, 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 that the, the confines of it. So we should ask ourselves a question. How did these believers living in the culturally challenging metropolis known as Ephesus come to be these discerning, um, concerned about truth and theology and living uh, living of the Christian life? How did they get to this place? Well, the simple answer, I think, is this. They were incredibly well-versed in biblical truth. You, you see, the, the pastor or the pastors or the leaders of their, their churches were, were men of God who had a deep desire to see God's people fall in love with God's truth as revealed in the Bible. They were bringing them Bible truth. They were bringing scripture to them. And with that incredible heritage, uh, this church, church seemed to put into practice the principles and the doctrines that were taught to them. They weren't just hearing it, but they were practicing it. Uh, that's incredibly difficult to do. It's unpopular to do as well. You and I know that as we try to practice these truths, especially in our churches today, and it would have been equally difficult, if not more so, even in their day. And then in verse 3 of our text, Jesus says this about them. You have persevered, you have endured patiently, and you have labored for my name's sake, and in all of this you haven't grown weary. Uh, through decades, perhaps, of trials and opposition, even persecution, they have persevered in the work of making the gospel known. They went through difficulties, but they were pressing on to make the gospel known. As false teachers, as wolves in sheep's clothing, crept in among them, posing as apostles, they fearlessly exposed them, accusing them of mishandling God's truth and leading people astray. So they weren't sitting back. They were very active in that sense. It seems as a church, too, they were completely united and that, that no one was serving or ministering out of a personal agenda. They were all about living for Jesus and bringing glory to him. It's like the dream church. It's like the church that every Bible-believing, Bible-preaching pastor longs to lead. Um, and in all of that, I want us to catch some truths that I, I think they would have had in their, their, their gathering. Pastor and author Mark Dever uh, suggests in his book, Nine Marks of the, Hel of the Healthy Church, that the following nine characteristics are essential in any church if that church effort is to bring glory to God. So as I go through them, I want you to make sure that they're in your church. I want you to make sure that you support them. Here's what he says. Number one, expositional preaching. That is biblical preaching. Taking the text of Scripture and saying, this is what the text says. This is not what I say about it, but this is what the text actually says. So they're doing that. Expositional preaching is coming to them. Biblical theology, they're, they're steeped in a, a theology that's driven and is richly driven from the scriptures. Not that they're creating it themselves, as often happens, but they're saying, this is what we believe because the Bible proclaims it. A biblical understanding of the gospel. That is that they would they, they were catching, this is the gospel message, and it's coming from the scriptures. It's driven from the biblical source. So we're saying, this is what you have to follow and believe. A biblical understanding of conversion. They hear that gospel message from the scriptures and they're converted spiritually, biblically, in a suitable way by the Spirit of God, appropriately, not of themselves, but converted soundly and in an evangelical sense, driven biblically, of course. 
a biblical understanding of evangelism. They knew that they had to tell others around them. They had to reach the world with the gospel. But it wasn't their message. It was the gospel message. It's kind of, that's their evangelistic thrust. We've got to be biblically driven here. Um, a biblical understanding of church membership. What does it mean to be part of the church? You've got to be redeemed. You've got to be washing the blood. You've got to be walking with Jesus. You've got to be following Christ's way. That's what it means to be a genuine church member. Biblical understanding of church discipline. When that member who has claiming to follow Jesus and they walk in uh, disunity or they walk away from the word of God or they oppose the word of God, then there has to be church discipline. The church says, you're out of line. We're not going to tolerate that. We want you back into the truth. And so they're disciplined. A biblical understanding of discipleship and growth has to be there. So they're helping one another say, I can make, I can help you be a disciple and you can help so-and-so be a disciple and others. And then the discipleship program grows and expands and they're all leading others and understanding of what it means to, to follow Christ in his ways. Finally, a biblical understanding of church leadership. Uh, they're, they're clear biblically that there's elders and that there's deacons. These are the church leaders and they're in, a, in accordance with the word of God. They're approved biblically, not just by people, but they're approved biblically to say, you qualify for this great task. So I think this church in Ephesus that Jesus is speaking to, I think they have all of those characteristics. Uh, but as Jesus walks among the, the people of this church spiritually, he looks deep into their core, deep into the, the heart of them uh, of this redeemed body and he says these words to them in verse four after all those good things i have this against you that you have left your first love you got so much proper together but you've left your first love so that's so important that we grasp that you see the journey from godliness to mechanical piety might be slow and gradual but for the church that chooses to no longer determine itself to hold hold firm to biblical preaching to Bible doctrine, to theological discernment, then that church will be guilty of slipping and sliding and leaving their first love. So the people walk away from their first love. So how warm, how hot is your love for the one whom you call Lord and Savior being Jesus Christ? I mean, make that personal. How hot, how warm is your love for him? Do you love him? Or are you just extending goodwill, as the song says? Because it seems to me like this amazing church in Ephesus had become a place where, where goodwill was all that they were offering to Jesus. They had preaching, of course, they had, they had Bible studies, they, they sang the songs, they prayed the prayers, and they told the world around them that they're great, about their great Savior, Jesus Christ, and his gospel message. But they didn't have the love for him in their hearts where only he could see as he walked among them in their worship service to him. So they had all this stuff, but this love for Christ was missing. Um, you know, with that backdrop, without understanding uh, the, the, the depth of love that Jesus wants from those whom he has died, then we begin to, died to save. We begin to see that in essence, he is saying to these believers in Ephesus, you've got your doctrine right. You're a gospel-loving church. You've godly leaders in the church, and, and you're faithful to, to meet with me and worship me. But I know that your love for me is not as it once was. Now, I want you to really come into this message. I want you to put yourself right in here. What that looks like is really important because they're accused by Jesus of abandoning, of leaving him as their first love. They still spoke spiritually. They continued to live as Christians. They, they would read their Bibles and they would pray. 
but their real allegiance of their their thinking, their their, their lifestyle, their mental lifestyle and capacity, it belongs somewhere else. They were doing these practices, but there was attractions everywhere else. And that's not a good thing in that sense. And for those reasons, Jesus speaks these words in verse 5. Remember, church, remember, believers, remember, church in Ephesus, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is so important. And as I read that, I, I suspect many of us are, are thinking what I like to think. Absolutely, that's the right thing to do. Uh, but that's not us. That's not me. So our Lord invites us, or maybe he commands us to remember from where we have fallen. To think back to those early days of knowing Jesus and having your, that experience of your sins being forgiven, that, that weight lifted off you, but believing that, that Jesus could do absolutely anything. and do being just completely in love with your Lord and Savior. Can you remember? Can you remember the joy that you had in knowing Jesus Christ uh, in those early days? The love that you had for the, the, the Bible and your desire to understand the Word of God? The longing to be uh, with, with other brothers and sisters in the church family? Well, Jesus calls us. He calls us to, to cast our minds back and remember those joyous times and to think about them often. I want you to do that. Remember those joyous times just after you got saved and think about those times. He continues the statement by calling these believers in Ephesus to repent and, and to do the first works or, or do what you did just after you got saved, just after you were redeemed. Do those works. Can you remember those momentary, uh, those moments, those days, those weeks, just after you gave your life to Jesus. Can you remember them? Uh, for me, they're still pretty clear. I, I remember making a list of people that I need to tell that I now belong to Jesus. I've got saved. I've got redeemed. And I'm no longer the person I was. I now belong to Jesus. And for some, that meant that our friendship would conclude even as a teenager, because I knew that if, if I continue with them, I'm going to fall in sin. Uh, with them. It also meant that I had to make, make new friends, uh, friends who believed in loving and following Jesus and could help me in my walk with him. Uh, I remember telling my, my parents and my grandparents and my, my schoolmates that, that I got saved, that, that I had been forgiven by Jesus, I've been redeemed by his blood. I'm not a different person in that sense. I acted differently. I spoke differently. I loved reading the Bible. I was hungry to read the Bible. I even listened to some modern gospel music of that era. There was a, an intensity of joy, an intensity of peace that in my life that after getting saved that I'd never ever known to that point in time. And so the point that Jesus is making to these mature believers in Ephesus is, is just that. You should be living today with the same amount of joy, same amount of zeal, same amount of enthusiasm and your love for Jesus that you had whenever you first got saved. You should be like that. In fact, maybe you should be even greater than that. You should know him better, so you should be loving him more. So let me ask you today, have you got that same joy, that same zeal that, that you used to have? Or has your faith in Jesus just become this mechanical practice called religion or religiosity. So here's what Jesus said to this healthy church in the city of Ephesus. Remember, they're healthy. If you don't repent of where you've got to in your walk with me and, and get that joy and that love back for, for, for me that you once had, 
that I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I'm going to do that if you don't get this right. And what he means by this action is that he will take away their light. He will take away your light that should serve as the illuminator of God's truth wherever you are. So you open the word and there's this illumination. You live and people around you know that you're living for him and it's authentic and real. He's going to remove that. I think the building, the people might still continue their functions, but it's only on a basis of religion. The, the light of God's truth has been removed and the, the blessing and glory that Jesus intended for his, his church, it just lies in ruins in the dust. The Ephesian church, with all of its good, is before Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, deceased. That's pretty serious. And then Jesus says in verse 6 these words. But this good thing you have, you, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, that's really strong words from Jesus. He's saying, I hate the Nicolaitans, and you hate them too. That's a good thing. He's referring to the followers of Nicholas, who was uh, made a deacon in Acts chapter 6. But he was a false believer who intended or had the plan of leading God's people into confusion and leading them, leading them away from their, their following Jesus Christ. And Clement of Alexander said of Nicholas that, and his followers, they, were, they abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, uh, leading a life of self-indulgence. That's what they did. That's what they, they enjoyed. They just did whatever they wanted to do and said, this is all okay before Jesus. He's okay with this. So Jesus hated what they had done in the deception of his bride. And he seemed to rejoice in the fact that these Ephesian believers had a, a great hatred for the deviance of the Nicolaitans also. Let me ask you this. Do you hate what gets in the way of your following Jesus? Do you hate it? The Apostle Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, <clears throat> are being transformed into the image, image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul's saying we're all being trans every believer is being transformed in the image of God. Do you hate, do you despise, do you loathe what, what causes you to that causes a hindrance in that growth? Do you hate and loathe and despise the fact that because of your love affair with sin, the process of your transformation to Christ's likeness has become slower than it should be or, or that it could be? See, the church in Ephesus. Because of their having set aside their, their first love, being Jesus Christ, they experienced just that. Even though, their, even though their preaching was great, even though their singing was amazing, even though their theology was completely biblical, their public living of their faith was excellent, but, but they'd lost this love for Christ. Their lampstand was removed and their, their witness was gone. And historically, we, we don't know how the church of Ephesus concluded or ended. We just know that it did, that it concluded. And what a sad end for a church. They've, they've had all these wonderful things said about them, but they're dead. That's a sad end. But then Jesus speaks his final words to this church in, in Ephesus in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, now, Jesus will actually use uh, this phrase in his concluding remarks to each of the seven churches. So we'll hear it over and over and over again. We'll be familiar with it. For those who are prepared and willing to listen to the Spirit of God, Jesus offers a promise. 
to him who overcomes, to him who conquers, he offers this promise, that the true, genuine Christian will live and conduct their life in a fashion that overcomes obstacles, such as trials, temptations, persecutions, etc. We're going to overcome those because we want to live to the glory of Christ and we're going to persevere and press through those, those things. The Apostle John had previously written such a sentiment as recorded in 1 John chapter 5, verses 45. Here's what we read. <clears throat> For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Did you catch that? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith does this. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Only these redeemed can overcome the world. If you're redeemed today, then this authority and this power is within us, and we can overcome the world. So as a believer in Christ, you are an overcomer of all that the world attempts to attract you with. And because of your faithful commitment to the Lord Jesus and to his church, Jesus gives you this promise that you will have the privilege of eating from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's a promise he gives to you. Now, the tree of life first appeared in the Garden of Eden. You're familiar with that. Uh, but, but in the future, it will appear again in heaven, uh, there for all eternity. Its reappearance serves as a, a reminder that through Christ, sin has been addressed, a life eternal granted to all who believe, to every true, genuine believer, life eternal granted. So as we attempt to contemplate all that happens in and with this church in Ephesus, let's make certain that we today, that you and I, that we remain firmly, deeply, passionately in love with our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to love you more and above anything else. If our love for him in any way has grown cold, unless, then let's act immediately by by repenting of that, by repenting of our unfaithfulness and, and then begin to enjoy afresh that first love that we had in our coming to him for salvation. And that's where he wants to take us to. That's where we need to get to. Let me pray for you. Lord, we ask that your grace and love might visit us today in, in our lives and in our church. Lord, may, may you never have reason to remove your lampstand from us. Help us live appropriately. Lord, might we intently listen to what your spirit is saying to the churches and apply truth to our lives. Lord, might we love you and never just extend goodwill. Be glorified, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening and trust that you'll be blessed and encouraged as you press on. And we do this together for the glory of God as we live for Jesus Christ. Thanks for your time.